When you are shopping for a new house to buy, the main thing you've got to do before you buy it is you've got to picture yourself in that house, right? If you can't see yourself living in that place, you'll never buy it. You're walking through the house, you know, trying to figure out if you're going to buy it or not. And these are the kinds of questions you're asking yourself as you walk through the house. You're like, can I see myself cooking in this kitchen every day? Right? Can I see myself pulling up into this driveway every day? If it's a two-story house and all the bedrooms are on the top floor and the washing machines on the bottom floor, you've got to ask, how much laundry am I really going to do? You know? Can I picture myself wearing the same pants for five months in a row? You know? You've got to be able to, can I see my kids fighting over the sink in this bathroom right here? Those are the kinds of questions you ask. Because if you can't see yourself in that new place, if you can't imagine it, you'll never buy it. Or you shouldn't. That's why when you're selling your house, you take all your own family pictures off the walls. Why? Because you don't, wanna, you don't want prospective buyers to come into your house and see it as your house. You want people to see it as their house. You want them to imagine their own family portraits on the walls. You want them to imagine their own magnets on the refrigerator and their own weird little ashtray collection on the shelf, right? You want them to picture it as their house. That's the question we need to ask when we're moving. Can I see myself in this new place? As we move from the past of 2023 into the possibilities of 2024 together, we don't just want to move into New Year's resolutions and new breathing room in our waistbands and new reading plans and, and prayer schedules. We want to move as a church into God's everything new. Those are, I believe, the five most exciting words in all of Scripture. I am making everything new. These words of our Lord, I think they just explode with hope and life and possibility. The old order of things has passed away. Behold, look, check it out. I am making everything new. And church, that beautiful day is coming. Amen. Okay, I'm just, just checking. That's good news, right? Anytime you hear something really good, you're supposed to say, Amen. It's not my sermon. This is our sermon, right? This is the GCR Church's declaration of the good news. Church, our Lord is coming back. Amen. Amen. And that day is closer than we think it is. Amen to that. But in so many ways, our God is already making everything new. The new is already breaking in all around us. The new is already happening. When Jesus came to this earth and he lived a righteous life and he died an atoning death and he was raised to a glorious resurrection to eternal life, our God began that day making everything brand new. We know this. And so my question today is, can you see yourself in that new? Can you see yourself? in that new place. Last Sunday, we started looking at the story of Naomi and Ruth and how they had to decide to move in a new direction. They had to choose to move. Remember, Naomi had left her home in Bethlehem and she moved to the pagan land of Moab for 10 years. 
Soon as they got to Moab, her husband died almost immediately. Then both of her sons die a little bit later. And Naomi just kind of wakes up one morning and she realizes, I am not where my God wants me to be. She has moved away from the Lord. She has moved away from the Lord's place of blessing. And we've all been there. We talked about this last Sunday. Maybe, maybe you're there this morning. And so she makes the decision to move back. Time to move. Time to shove. Remember? Time to repent and return to the Lord and to the place of His blessing. So this is Naomi and it's her daughter-in-law Ruth. And they've decided on this new direction, and, and now they've got to kind of follow through on it. And they do, okay? Look at Ruth. Joshua Judges, Ruth, you know where it is, right there, the first third of the, of the Old Testament. I want you to look here. We're going to read Ruth starting in verse 19. So the two women, this is Naomi and Ruth, the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Naomi in Hebrew, the word means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant, she told them. Call me Mara. Mara is the Hebrew word that means bitter. Call me bitter because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Okay, listen to Naomi, right? Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. My whole life is bitter. I am empty. I am alone. I've got nothing. The Lord God has left me. The Lord hasn't just turned his back on me. He is acting against me. He is harming me. He is bringing trouble to me. Naomi is stuck in her old place. Now your address is where you live, right? 1101 Castleford, Midland, Texas. That's where I live. And that's, that's, you know, think about your address. That's where you live. That, that address, that number, that street name, uh, the, the city, right? That identifies where you live. That's where you are. That's where all your stuff is, all your stories, your people, your identity, right? Your address. That's you. That's where you live. Naomi is stuck in her old address. She's chosen this new direction. The Lord has moved her and Ruth back to him and back to his place of blessing. But inside, okay, deep in her heart, in her mind, deep in her soul, Naomi is stuck in that old place. Now, Naomi has suffered some devastating loss. She has experienced deep sorrow. She's got no husband to provide for her. She's got no sons to take care of her. She doesn't have any grandchildren to cheer her spirits. But she's absorbed in her own place of bitterness and affliction. She's eaten up with it. Everything Naomi says here is about her, right? I am empty. I am alone. I am afflicted. The misfortune is on me. And I think about Ruth. You know, Ruth's standing right next to her. What am I, a chopped liver, you know? 
Think about it. Here's Ruth. Wait a second. I left my homeland. I left my family. I've moved all the way across the country just to be with you. I've pledged my loyalty and my love to you forever. Naomi can't see it. Because Naomi is stuck in her old place. She is so stuck, she wants to change her name from pleasant to bitter. Now, Ruth, Ruth has her name changed for her. Did you notice this? To everyone in the community, she is Ruth the Moabitess. She's the outsider. She's the enemy, right? She is instantly tagged with this. She's not just Ruth. Verse 22, we read it. She is Ruth the Moabitess. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. She is Ruth the Moabitess. Verse 6, the Moabitess who came from Moab, in case you forgot, right? In verse 21, Ruth the Moabitess. This has become now her last name. She's labeled by the community for no other reason than she ain't from around here. She wasn't born here. She was raised differently than all of us were. Never mind her faithful love to Naomi. Never mind her kindness and, and mercy she's, she has shown to Naomi. Never mind all these really good things about Ruth. She's labeled. And she may never be accepted as one of the community. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how Ruth feels about it, like, like we know where Naomi is. But maybe neither one of them can see anything new. Church, this is real, okay? What's happening to Naomi and Ruth doesn't just happen to people on the other side of the world 3,500 years ago. These exact same things happen to all of us. The hopelessness that you feel in the middle of suffering, that's real. Loneliness, Right? There, there's two kinds of loneliness. There's the loneliness when you're literally alone, like when there's nobody around and you are totally by yourself. That's lonely. There's another kind of loneliness where you're surrounded with people. There's people all around you, but you don't connect. You don't fit in, right? You can't find your place. That's, that's also loneliness, and it's just as real. So... Loneliness for Naomi, the challenges of old age. I mean, these things are not unique to her, right? Neither is losing your spouse or losing a child, right? These things still happen today. Family issues, health issues, sin issues, public sin happens, being labeled by others and there's no way to shake it. Maybe today you're feeling bitter. Maybe you feel empty. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe today you just don't see yourself in a different place. Maybe you can't see it. But listen, God can. He can see it. Just as we see the depths of Naomi's bitterness and emptiness here, right when we see how stuck she is, the Bible lets us in on something. The Bible tells us God is in charge of what's happening with Naomi and Ruth. And God is moving. Notice that Naomi and Ruth wind up in Bethlehem just as the barley harvest is beginning. 
It's harvest time. This is the time when all of God's people express joy and thanksgiving and praise to God for all of his goodness to them. It's springtime, right? The season for new beginnings and new life. And so the barley harvest was beginning. And there's a guy named Boaz. Verse 1, chapter 2. Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz, a man of standing, a man of influence and wealth. This is a guy who can make things happen. Naomi and Ruth don't know about him yet, but we do. And now there's some anticipation here, you know. Now, now this story is going somewhere. And one thing we notice here. In the Bible, there are no coincidences. Have you picked up on that before? No coincidences in the Bible. God is at work here for Naomi and Ruth. He's doing something. He's moving the pieces into place. He is working out all the timing. He has not forgotten Naomi in her sorrow and pain. And he's not working against her. He is working for her and in her and through her. She can't see it yet, but God is moving, and the truck is rolling, and she needs to get on it. So Ruth makes the first move. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. Ruth, the Moabitess, of course, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. In other words, we're going to starve to death if one of us doesn't do something. I've got to go do something, Naomi. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. I don't know if that's a blessing or if that's just like Naomi's acknowledging, yeah, go ahead. At least it's something, right, from Naomi. So Ruth goes out and she begins to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? That's my own interpretation. <laughs> the foreman replied, here we go again, She's the Moabitess who came from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, verse 11, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth is blown away by what happens to her out in the field. Boaz is kind and he is generous to Ruth. He is overly considerate to her, overly protective. 
of this foreigner. He doesn't treat her as an outsider. He treats her like a member of the community. He goes above and beyond the letter of the law. He goes way past what's required by not only leaving the extra gleanings, but look at verse 15, by pulling stalks of grain for her out of what had already been harvested. And then at mealtime, he invites Ruth to sit with him and eat and drink at his table. The Bible says they're dipping their bread into the same boil, uh, boil into the same bowl of oil. That's a symbol, right, of unity and acceptance and fellowship. It's a symbol of belonging, right? And so Boaz is treating Ruth like family. And she eats this wonderful lunch, and she ate all that she wanted. She had a bunch left over. Ruth is experiencing firsthand the lavish blessings of our God. It's more than she could ever ask or imagine. And then she takes it home, and she gives the leftovers to Naomi. Look at uh, verse 19. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, asked her, Ruth, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Now, check this out. Naomi sees something. Now Naomi sees very clearly for the very first time that God is moving the Lord blessed Boaz, yes. But the real revelation here is that the Lord is blessing me. God is blessing me. God still loves me. God still cares for me. God is still involved with me and, and what's going on in my life. And so Naomi gives glory to God. Boaz is obviously providing the food and the protection and the belonging, but Naomi proclaims it's the Lord who's behind it. And then Naomi realizes, wait a second, that man is a close relative. Verse 20, see, we already knew this. She just now clues in. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Wait a second, this is bigger than I realized. Something's going on here. God is moving. God is providing for us and taking care of us. He's giving us exactly what we need. He is moving the pieces into place. He is working out all the timing. And this is the moment when Naomi moves to her new address. Now she's beginning to picture herself in God's everything new. Her identity. Who she is. Where she is. Her stories and her stuff. Maybe I'm not empty. You know, maybe I'm not done. She's starting to see that the Lord is moving her to a new place. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. How you see yourself, okay? How you view yourself, that matters. What you see about your life, how you view your potential and possibilities, all that matters. And I know all of us, if we're honest, we have a few um, self-limiting beliefs. Those beliefs about ourselves are false, they're lies, but we carry them around with us everywhere we go like a stuffed backpack, you know? 
These, these lies that we've been told, these false beliefs, we carry them everywhere. We carry them into our homes. We carry them into our workplaces. We carry that stuff to school. We carry it into our relationships. And, and these, these lies that we believe about ourselves may come from our own self-perceptions. They may come from what we've been told by others, maybe both. These lies, these false beliefs about ourselves, they may come from our families. They may come from our culture. They may come from something that's happened to us. It may come from something we've done. It may come from all of that. And these lies that you carry around about yourself can keep you stuck. Stuck in a bad place. Stuck in an old address. We tell these lies. We believe these things about ourselves. I'm too old. I used to be young. I used to be productive. I used to be energetic and get things done, but I'm too old now. My best days are behind me. Or I'm too young. Nobody listens to me. Nobody cares what I think. Nobody cares how I feel. I'm too young. Maybe someday I'll be important and can make things happen. But right now, no, not yet. I'm too young. Or maybe, maybe I don't make enough money. You know, I could be important. I could do some significant things. I'd be a better person if I just made more money. Or maybe I'm not totally forgiven. Not totally. I've done bad things in my past. It was all a long time ago, but it was a lot. And it was bad. And I'm not totally 100% forgiven. There's no way I could be. Or God's disappointed in me. I know he loves me, but he can't be happy with me. I mess up too much. God's not close to me because of that. Or maybe it's nobody appreciates what I do. Or maybe it's I'll never find the right person to marry. Or maybe it's I'll never get a break. Listen to me. You can't live there. You cannot live there. You cannot be stuck in that place. Your new address, your new identity, who you are and where you are and your stories and your stuff, listen, all of that needs to be grounded firmly in our Heavenly Father through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And He is making everything new. You are deeply loved by God. You are so important. You are so valuable to our Father. Okay. You're not that great. You're not. You're not as focused as you should be. You're not as good as you could be. You're not as put together. You're not as successful. You're not as popular as you wish you could be. Okay. Okay. But that's not where you live. That's not where you live. Here's what Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth. 1 Corinthians, right at the end of chapter 1. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were. He gives us perspective here. Think of what you were when you were called by God. Not many of you were wise 
by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things. God chose the weak things. God chose the lowly things and the despised things and the things that are not. It is because of Him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Amen. Y'all stand up. I'm sorry. Stand up. Everybody stand up. Okay. All right. Just stand up. Just come on. Here we go. This is good news. Not everybody gets to hear this every week. You get to hear it. We're privileged. We're blessed by God. Let me say that again. In Jesus Christ, God has become for us our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Amen. Okay, be seated. It's not so hard. Church, man, if we can't declare the good news in here, where are we going to declare it? Right? Am I being a punk? Am I okay? Is this all right? Okay. Listen. In Christ, you're not dead. You're not alone. You're not stuck. You're not old. You're not anything but righteous. God sees you as holy, right? And you say, preacher, I don't see myself that way. It's okay. God does. God does. Romans 4, one of my favorite verses. Our God gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they are. He sees it, right? And so when you look at yourself and when you look at your situation, don't focus on your sins and your shortcomings. Focus on your righteousness and your holiness that God has given you in Jesus. God is moving you to your new address. The truck is rolling and you got to get on. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read a little bit of this last week. If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. The old, it's gone. The new, it's here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I am making everything new. Those are the words of our Lord Jesus. The new creation is in Christ. In Christ is where you're made new. Your life is new. Your story is new. Where you live, your stuff, all that is new in Jesus. And if you could just see it, your life would never be the same. If you could just see it in Christ. So, so live in Christ. Remain in Christ. Why would you be anywhere else? This is what Jesus says around the table in John chapter 15. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. Remain in my love. Verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy may, in be in, may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Remain in me. Did you notice that's what Boaz told Ruth? He said it three times. Remain here. Stay here. Don't go away from here. Stay in this place where God 
is making everything new. Revelation says the one who endures, the one who perseveres, the one who stays. Now, sometimes it takes a while, right? With Ruth and Naomi, they've been at it for two months. And nothing's happened yet. In fact, Naomi sounds a little frustrated in chapter 3 that nothing has progressed. Sometimes you have to wait. I don't care what Second Peter says. Our God is slow. He is. But you can trust He's always working. He's always moving. And you can see it real clearly in this story. Going back to to the book of Ruth, Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem. Did you notice this? Just as the harvest was beginning. What a coincidence. Verse 3, Ruth went to glean in a field, and wouldn't you know it? As it turned out, the Bible says, the field just happened to belong to Boaz. What a stroke of luck. And then verse 4, right at that very moment, what do you know? Boaz showed up. What are the odds? It would take 10 minutes or more to explain to you the original Hebrew language here and how the writer is just piling up these adjectives and adverbs right on top of each other to make this kind of humorous point that this ain't about luck. All right? What's happening here is not by chance. Somebody is moving behind the scenes. Three years ago, our new son-in-law, David, proposed marriage to our middle daughter, Valerie. And everybody knew about it two weeks before it happened. Everybody except Valerie, right? So there's all this stuff going on behind the scenes for a couple of weeks. And then on the day of the proposal, what are the odds? Valerie that evening just happens to be wearing a nice dress and her hair's made up, which doesn't happen every day, right? What are the odds? By some crazy circumstance and coincidence, David had that day off from work. What do you know? That evening, they both wound up separately coming together in the same backyard of the same friend's house at the same time. It's incredible. And somebody was in the bushes taking pictures. I mean, how do you, how do you explain that? The coincidence, the, the stroke of good luck. No, 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 no. God is behind the scenes, always working, always moving the pieces into place, always working out the timing, always taking care of us and the plans he has for us. You know, if it were just up to us, we wouldn't make it. You wouldn't make it. I wouldn't. We wouldn't have a chance. When Ruth walked into that field that day, she never could have guessed in a million years that she would wind up marrying the landowner and that their great-great-grandson would be David, the king of Israel, through whom God would send his promised Savior of the world. There's no way she ever could have asked or imagined any of that. But please notice how Ruth and Naomi stopped looking at their poverty and they focused on Boaz's riches. They stopped feeding their fears, and they rested in Boaz's promises. They stopped obsessing over their circumstances, and they looked toward new possibilities. Now, today, church, you and I, all of us, we are fixing our eyes on Jesus. Jesus has moved us from the dominion of darkness into his eternal kingdom of light. In His great mercy, our God has given us new birth into a living hope. First Peter, right? 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In Christ you are deeply loved. You are righteous, you are holy, and you are redeemed. That's your new address. Can you see yourself there? Can you picture it? If not, what do you need to do to get there? Do you need to be baptized into Christ? Hannah, that water's nice. Amen? I mean, you're good, right? Praise God. We're so thrilled for you. Who needs to join Hannah today and get in that water and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive God's holiness, righteousness, and redemption through our Lord? If you need to, you find me right now. I'm going to be standing right here during this next song. You come down and find me. If you've never been baptized, today's the day. Don't put it off. We see our brothers and sisters getting into the cold water in Montana. What's wrong with us? Come find me. Maybe you need to shove. Maybe you need to return and repent and come back to the Lord. I would love to pray with you. I'd love to visit with you, talk with you about that. Find me. I'm going to be right here during this next song. I'll be right over there by those doors right after church. Let's talk about these things. Let's don't let the day go by without visiting about this together. Everything is being made new in Christ. That's your address. That's your eternal destination. I want you to see yourself there. May you see yourself there. May you, by God's grace, move there. And may you live there today and for every day until he comes. Amen. Stand with me, church. Let's sing together.